You know, we have a um, healing journeys, one, two, and three. And these, there's five testimonies on each one of these about miraculous healings. Uh, Ashley and Carly, there it is. Ashley's back there collecting the buckets right now. Some of you might've seen his little daughter, uh, Hannah is the one that was over in England that was given just a day or two to live. And she came, she was three and a half years old and only the size of a nine month old. And she was miraculously healed. And now she's nine years old, I think, and healthy and just an exciting child. And uh, anyway, these healing journeys have testimonies on there like that. But uh, I was thinking of one about Audrey Scott. And uh, Audrey was the child, right? Jamie, I think, is the mother. And when they got this diagnosis that their daughter only had half of a heart, and didn't have the arteries leaving, leading to the lungs and minus some ribs, immediately Jamie, because she knew the word, stood up and canceled those diagnoses and stood and believed. And within 24 hours, their daughter was completely normal and healthy and whole. Amen. And this is what you need. You need the word in you so that you don't have to come running to my meeting, that you don't have to go to somebody else, but that you can stand and believe God. I never did pray for Audrey Scott. They called into our helpline and some other people prayed and agreed with them, but it was their faith. It was uh, Ashley and Carly that stood for their daughter. And I did pray for her, but you know, it was their faith that caused that girl to be healed. And this is what I'm longing to do is to get people to where they can start seeing these things happen in their life instead of just having to have somebody else do it for you. Amen or oh me. I'm trying to empower you. Amen. Praise God. Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter four. I'm going to minister something that actually is just a continuation of what I was talking about last night. How many of you, this is your very first service that you've made during these meetings. Could I see your hand? Praise God. Well, welcome. Glad to have you here. We do have CDs and DVDs of the three previous services. They're already duplicated. This morning's will be duplicated within five minutes after the service. And you can get those out there. I hadn't got time to go back over it, but I've been talking about the grace of God and how that you cannot relate to God based on your performance, which is the mistake that the vast majority of the body of Christ is doing. And most people, their faith, it's not that they don't have faith in God. It's that they don't have faith in themselves. And you aren't supposed to have faith in yourself, but we've been taught that we've got to be worthy. And all Satan's got to do is show you something that you've done wrong and your faith just fails because, oh, I'm not worthy. Now I know why God's going to do it. When you extract yourself from this and understand that God is not moving in your life because you deserve it. It's because of what Jesus did for you. Then Satan can't condemn you. He can't condemn God. He hadn't got a thing to accuse God of. He's the accuser of the brethren, not the accuser of God. And this is the reason people's faith is missing. It's because they haven't heard the true gospel, that it's really about the grace of God. Last night, I was really emphasizing that grace is what God has done for you, independent of you, prior to you ever having a need. God, by grace, has already done everything. He's through moving. 
God isn't doing things today. He did everything he was ever going to do through Jesus 2,000 years ago. And all faith is, is our reaching out and receiving what God has already provided. This is, amp- this is really easy to see in salvation that when you uh, come to the Lord and receive salvation, Jesus doesn't die for you. He already did it. It's already been done. And all you're doing is reaching out and taking it. You know, let me give you one example before I get into this scripture. When I was uh, eight years old, I was in a Baptist church and uh, we had a vacation Bible school. Normally, my family sat right on the front row, right over here. We were like skunks. We had our own pew. Amen. It was just, that was our place. And we always sat on the very front row. But in this vacation Bible school, there were 600 kids in it. And they marched us into the, to the auditorium and sat us down based on the group that we were in. And my group was on the very last row. It was 600 people in this auditorium. And a man was trying to illustrate what salvation was like. And so he took out a dollar bill and he held this dollar bill up like this. And he says, I'll give this dollar bill to the first kid that comes up here and takes it. And I mean, instantly there was 20, 30 kids all around him just jumping. I want it. I want it. And I thought of all the times to be on the back row. What a rotten deal. But he just ignored him and he kept his hand up in the air and he said, I'll give this dollar bill to the first kid that comes up here and takes. And everybody was wondering, well, what's going on? Everybody's up there. Everybody wants it. But he just, he didn't give it to a single one. He just kept his hand in the air. I'll give this dollar bill to the first kid that comes up here and takes it. And it hit my lightning fast mind what this guy was saying. And I got out, I ran down the aisle. I pushed my way through all of those kids. I grabbed his arm like this and just climbed his side. And I grabbed that dollar bill. Amen. And that guy said, this is the first kid that came up here and took it. He said, all of you wanted it, but only one person took it. (laughs) And he said, that's the way salvation is. God's already provided it. You don't have to come and just ask and beg, would you give it to me? It's a gift, but you have to reach out and take it. God has already done everything by grace, but you just reach out and take it. And see, it's the same way with healing. It's the same way with prosperity. God has already blessed you with all spiritual blessings. He has commanded a blessing on you, but it takes faith on your part to receive what God has provided by grace. This is why he tells you to give. God doesn't need your money. I don't need your money. Again, God could get it to me some other way. The reason God tells you to give is because you have to trust him. You have to have faith in God and say, Father, I believe. I believe that it is your will for me to prosper and that you're supplying my needs. And it's not enough to just say it. You got to demonstrate it, act on it. How do you do it? You take a portion of what you have. And here's your goal over here of having a bigger house, car, whatever it is, getting your bills paid. Here's your goal and you're headed towards it. And when you take a portion of what you have and give it away, you're moving away from this goal instead of towards it. To the natural mind, this is absolute foolishness. The only reason to do that is because there is a God who said that when you honor me, I will cause your barns to be filled with plenty and your presses to burn out and burst out with new wine. If you give, it'll be given unto you. The only reason to give 
It makes zero sense except that it is honoring God and saying, God, I'm trusting you. I believe you. And God supernaturally, in the natural, you're moving away from your goal, but somehow or another, when you give, you'll actually get there quicker. You'll get there quicker. You'll have your needs supplied better when you trust God than when you are just trusting yourself and taking everything you've got and holding on to it and giving God a tip every once in a while. It's all about, you've got to believe to activate that. It's by grace you're saved through faith. It's the combination of those two. Grace is God's part. Faith is your part. And that's what we've been talking about here in Hebrews chapter four, the author of Hebrews, we don't know who this is, but personally it sure sounds like Paul to me. I'm not prepared to say it was Paul, but I tell you what, he was preaching the grace of God. And Paul is the one that God used to really bring this message. And the writer of Hebrews said in chapter four, he says, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. And the background of this is he had been using when the children of Israel came out of the land of Egypt. God intended for them to go into the promised land, a place flowing with milk and honey, but because of their rebellion and unbelief, they wouldn't trust God. The things that he had provided for them by grace didn't come to pass because of their unbelief. And that entire generation died in the wilderness and never saw God's will come to pass. And that's the background. So he says, so we need to take a lesson from this. We need to be careful that we don't miss what God's grace has provided because we are afraid to trust him because we are afraid to mix our faith with it. Again, I'm saying that concerning finances, there are some people in here that honestly, you are, you're just afraid to trust God. You say, I can't do it. And you are missing the abundance of God. God's got wealth and prosperity for you and you're missing it because you are afraid to trust God. Some of you may be succeeding and thinking you're doing okay, but you aren't doing as good as what God could bless you. You know, I had a man that bought cars and gave them to us and he bought brand new cars, nice cars and gave them to us. And it was embarrassing. One, I'd I'd go places and people would say, you're a preacher and you're driving a nice car like this. And it was embarrassing. And I went back to this preacher one time and I said, you know what? It's embarrassing to drive these nice cars. If you're going to give me a car, couldn't you give me a car that's not quite as nice? so that people wouldn't look at me weird. And did you know, he said, if you aren't embarrassed over your level of prosperity, then God's not your source. He says, God paves his streets with gold. God has his gates made out of one pearl. God is El Shaddai, not El Cheapo. (laughs) And you know what? I began to realize that man, There's a lot of you that you can look and say, I work everything I've got. I made this to happen. Man, if you were to go to trust in God, God would bless you so much that you just have to say, you know what? It's not my effort that did this. God has just supernaturally blessed me. God has made, God has given me promotions when I didn't deserve promotions. God has given me creative ideas. God makes things work. Some of you are missing out on God's prosperity and you're just getting only what you can produce. 
The Israelites had all of this that God had provided for them, but they didn't enter into that rest because of their unbelief. God by grace provides an awesome life. If you don't wake up in the morning, just absolutely thrilled, like Caroline and Virginia were talking about, they wake up every morning just thanking God for what he's done. If you aren't excited about God and just thrilled, you're missing out on what God has for you. Because I guarantee you, God never made a piece of junk. God's never made a failure. God's never made anybody to be mediocre. Most of us are shooting at nothing and hitting it every time. You aren't aiming at anything. You're just wanting to get by, just survive. Survival mentality. You should be thriving. And yet most Christians aren't living there because they aren't trusting God. They don't understand that God's got an abundant life. Before you were even formed in your mother's womb, God had a plan for you and it is an awesome plan. It ought to be that at the end of your life, you look back and you just, oh, Father, thank you. My life has been awesome. Thank you for the awesome things you've done. Thank you for redeeming my mistakes. You ought to be so thankful. And I'm not saying this to hurt you. I'm trying to shake you so that, praise God, you'll make some changes while you can. But there are some of you that unless something happens, you're going to reach the end of your life and look back and says, what a waste. I played it too safe. Nobody on their deathbed says, I wished I'd have taken less risk. On their deathbed, they think I played it too safe. I have dreams, goals, things that were in my heart and I never did them. I never took a chance. I was afraid to do something. I'm telling you, God, by grace has provided this awesome plan for every person's life, but you have to believe and trust him. And the Israelites didn't. They got afraid and they said, would to God we could go back to Egypt and die in Egypt in slavery. Let's go back to slavery because they couldn't handle freedom. There's a lot of Christians today that God has this awesome plan for us and we're missing it because of our unbelief. And this is what he's talking about. You need to be careful. You need to, you need to take heed to this so that you don't let any of the promises of entering into his rest not come to pass. And then he says in verse two, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. God's word has to be mixed with faith. All of these promises, everything that God wants to do in your life, you've got to trust that. You've got to mix it with faith. You have to take steps of faith, not in order to get God to do it. God's already done it. He's already provided. It's like if you could imagine, you know, all of these balloons hung on the ceiling or here and they're there, but they're in a net. You got to do something. They're there, but you got to release them. You got to reach up there and poke them or do something to release what is already there. God has already provided a supernatural blessing for every one of us, but you can't just sit there. The word won't profit you unless you mix it with faith. In the beginning of my ministry, I really learned this because I thought that when I, if I just preached the word right, if I was truly anointed, everybody would be set free. I took responsibility for everything. And it really bothered me when people would walk out or leave and nothing would happen. And then it didn't take long for my lightning fast mind to figure out that here I'd be preaching and one person would be just bouncing up and down and getting set free and their life was changing and the person next to them fall asleep. And then the person on the other side would just be transformed. And I'd look at this and think, 
How can people be hearing the exact same word and in having totally different effects on people? And I realized because I'm speaking faith, but you have, I'm speaking the word, but you have to mix it with faith in order for it to work. And if you're sitting there in your mind, discounting the things that I'm saying and rejecting it, it won't release life in you. You have to mix this with faith. It's not just magic. And so he says here that the word preached didn't profit them because it wasn't mixed with faith. And then he says in verse three, for we, which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I've sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. That's a quotation from uh, Psalms. I believe it's Psalms chapter 110. I'd have to look that up, but it's an old Testament uh, quotation. And he said, David was the one speaking and he says, we do enter into rest. And then this is real wordy in the King James, but here's a summary of what he's saying. He says that this wasn't fulfilled when the Israelites finally entered into the promised land and possessed the promised land. That's not the rest that was talking about because hundreds of years after they had already been there, David, 400 and something years after they had occupied the promised land, David prophesied and said, there is a rest to the people of God and we which believe do enter into rest. And so he quotes this to say that this wasn't fulfilled when they entered into the promised land. This is talking about a rest that is for the people of God today. This is something that is for every one of us. There is a place in the Lord where you are resting in him. And again, I mentioned this briefly last night. I won't go into great explanation on it, but this isn't talking about a place where you just lay down and do nothing and things work without effort. But it's talking about a place where you are just trusting that he has already done it by grace. He's already provided everything and you don't have to make God do anything. You're just resting in what he's already done. That's what it's talking about. And it uses the terminology here in verse four, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise and God did rest the seventh day from all of his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. And so now he begins to start bringing the Sabbath into it and using the Sabbath to talk about a rest that we have in God. And so I'm going to say some things. This is going to, I'm going to quote a lot of stuff. You need to get the tape, study this out on your own because I, I can't verify every single scripture or I won't get through it this morning. But this, if you can understand what I'm talking about, will really set you free. The Sabbath was a picture of a rest that we now have with the Lord, a relationship with the Lord where you aren't trying to make God do something, but you are just trusting what he's already provided and resting in what he's done. That's what the Sabbath was to picture. Let me give you one scripture on this out of Colossians chapter two in verse 16, and it'll show you this. Colossians chapter two And in verse 16, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are shadow, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. It lists five things here in verse 16. One of them is the Sabbath and verse 17 says they are a shadow of 
of things to come. Most Christians have missed this. They think that all of the rules and the regulations about the Sabbath were given so that you just have to observe this day and it's a ritual, a legalistic thing that they do. And they don't realize that the Sabbath was a picture of a relationship with God. Now that we have the relationship, the shadow is not uh, any value to us. I know that that's really going to upset some of you, but this is exactly the terminology that the scripture is using. It lists five things here. It says, don't let them judge you in meat. You know what that's talking about? There were dietary laws about what you could eat and couldn't eat. You couldn't eat pork. You couldn't eat rabbit. You couldn't eat shellfish. You couldn't eat uh, shrimp. You couldn't have clams, uh, oysters, any of that kind of stuff. Those things were forbidden and you couldn't eat that. And some people think, well, God gave that because it was for health benefits. The only scripture that tells you why God did it is right here. And it says it was a shadow of a New Testament reality. It was not for health benefits. He could have picked uh, beef and told you not to eat it. He just had to pick something. This isn't for health benefits. There are some secondary things, but again, in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter four, it says in the latter days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, forbidding to marry, such as some denominations say that the clergy cannot marry. That is a doctrine of a devil. Was that too subtle? Anybody miss that? It's a doctrine of the devil if you say that a person can't marry and that makes them holy. And it also goes up to say, and uh, commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them that believe and know the truth. For every creature, let's go to the next verse there, Lori. Every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. Every creature If you're hearing somebody preach that you can't eat pork, you can't do this, you can't do this, and it's all health, and they go back and say, you got to do this, that's a doctrine of the devil. That is a doctrine of the devil. Is this to say that there isn't wisdom to use in what you eat? That's not what I'm saying. But these people that, you know, say you can't do this, and we got to go back to a vegetarian diet, I tell them, that's not food. That's what food eats, amen. You know, vegetarian is an old Indian name that they use for bad hunter. (laughs) The scripture says that nothing is to be refused. It can all be received. It's a doctrine of the devil if you're preaching that you can't eat certain things. And yet the Old Testament forbids you to eat certain things. In the New Testament, if you try and live under that Old Testament law, it is now a doctrine of the devil. It amazes me how many Christians are wanting to go back into the Jewish rituals and the Jewish culture and go back and start doing all the Jewish things which we've been redeemed from. They don't understand the new covenant. They haven't entered into the rest. They're wanting to go back to the wilderness and go back to all of those things. That usually goes over about like that. I'm not against anybody. I'm just telling you the truth. Paul would not be considered a Messianic Jew. 
Amen. I'm leaving town tomorrow. Amen. I can get out of here. Praise the Lord. So it says, don't let anybody judge you in respect to meat or drink. Do you know that there were certain things that you couldn't drink? Most people don't even know what those are. So apparently you must not be living by that. It says, don't let any man judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day. You know, there were certain days such as the Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, Day of Atonement, on and on and on and on it goes. And you could be punished by death if you didn't observe them. Did you know you don't have to observe those today? Again, some people are going back to where they're doing the Feast of Passover. And if you want to do it to see what it means and the symbolism and how it's been fulfilled, that's fine. But to preach that somehow or another you are closer to God because you're keeping the Feast of the Passover. No, we have now, the Passover is Jesus. And the Lord's Supper is now our Passover. And you don't have to do that stuff. It doesn't make you closer to God. You aren't missing God if you aren't keeping the Passover and the day of atonement. You know, I know somebody's going to want to come up and correct me, but don't waste your breath. (laughs) And it says, or of the new moon. Did you know you had to offer a sacrifice every time there was a new moon? How many of you offered a sacrifice last new moon? How many know when the last new moon was? Apparently, see, here's fourth. There's five things, four of them. Oh, we're redeemed from that. That was old covenant. Now we are in the new covenant. We don't have to offer. We don't have to live by these things. Man, I ate pork today. I ate bacon. That's my favorite food. (laughs) And most of us say, well, we're free from that. But then the last thing it says are of the Sabbath days. Did you know that there are people that don't observe the dietary laws? You, You drink different things. You don't offer certain sacrifices on the Passover and on all of this. You don't offer a sacrifice every new moon, but you still have to keep the Sabbath. And yet it says all five of these things in verse 17 are a shadow of something to come, but not the real thing. You know, if you could imagine that this pulpit was like a big tall building here, And you're around on that side and I'm over on this side. If you couldn't see me, but if you could see my shadow, if there was a light behind me, then that shadow could be very uh, informational. It could give you a lot of information. It could tell you whether I'm standing still, whether I'm walking away, whether I'm walking towards you, whether I'm carrying a club. It could tell you a lot of things. If you can't see me, my shadow would be very important. But once I walk around the corner... Something would be wrong with you if you ran and fell down and hugged my shadow. And oh, it's so good to have you here. That shadow is only good if you can't see me. But once you see me, why would you talk to my shadow or embrace my shadow or hug my shadow? And Christians who are going back to, well, I've got to observe these dietary laws. I've got to observe the new moon. I've got to do this. I've got to go back in to all of the Jewish rituals and feast days. They are going back to the shadow and missing Jesus. And the Sabbath was a shadow of a New Testament thing that Hebrews 4 is calling a Sabbath rest. 
There are people today that are strictly observing the Sabbath and they are defiling this New Testament rest because they think that by doing this, they are trusting in their goodness instead of trusting in what Jesus done. And the truth is they are the Sabbath breakers. They aren't keeping the true Sabbath. They're going back to the Old Testament ritual when now we have the Lord Jesus and the reality here and yet they are living in the Old Testament Sabbath. The Sabbath was a picture. What was it a picture of? Go all the way back to creation and I'm just gonna summarize some of these things. But in creation, God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter one. And he created man on the sixth day of creation. And there was, uh, he created the animals on the sixth day and then men and so... He actually created man towards the very end of the sixth day. That means man was the last thing in his creation. And yet we see from scriptures like Psalms chapter eight, that man is actually the crowning jewel of creation. That we are made just a little bit lower than the angels is what it says in Psalms chapter eight. But the actual word there is Elohim, the word for God. Man is just a step below God. We are above all animals, contrary to the tree huggers that believe that we are no different than an animal and that we've got to protect them. Mankind is, one man is worth more than all the animals on the face of the earth. We were created in God's image. Animals aren't. And so he created man. We were the crowning jewel, but why did he create us last? Because if he would have created us first, did you realize it would have been three days before there would have been ground for us to stand on? (laughs) We'd have had to tread water for three days. (laughs) And then if we would have been on this land and all of a sudden he said, let there be trees, let there be grass. All of a sudden here's trees and forest and all of this. And we'd be dodging trees and boulders and (laughs) things like this. And he didn't create food for us until the fourth day. We would have gone hungry. It wasn't ready for us. God created everything. He created the entire heaven and the earth. He created all of the oxygen that it takes for now six point something billion people to breathe. Did you know that all all of this oxygen was on the earth when God created it? He anticipated, and if we lived where there's 10 billion people on this earth, there'll never be a shortage of oxygen. God anticipated everything that will ever happen and he created enough resources for everything. I might as well get this out while I'm at it. But... This whole thing about the greenhouse gases and the fragile earth and stuff. Those are people that don't believe God is the creator. They think that this is just, they think that the earth is fragile and men are what's really powerful and we can destroy the environment. You couldn't destroy the environment if you want to. You could pollute your little stream, but it'll, you know, you'll die when you pollute it and then it'll clean itself up. The earth goes through cycles. And anyway, I'm not going to get off on all that, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And the environmentalists are making billions out of your pocket off of stuff that is not necessary. 
God created this earth so that it can clean itself up. And I'm not saying we trash it. Any person who really respects God doesn't want to destroy your environment, but I'm saying that it's not fragile. It's not all of these things that people say that is. God anticipated everything. He created all of the oxygen the world will ever need, all of the minerals. There is more than enough energy here. It may not all be fossil fuel, but if we use our brain, I've already seen a thing about a guy that made a car that runs off of water three years ago and he drove it 20,000 miles. It runs off of water. They have that, but I don't know. I guess the oil companies bought it up. I don't know why we aren't using it. But I guarantee you, there is a way, God has provided a way for mankind to meet every need that we've got. He anticipated everything. And he didn't create mankind until everything was perfect. He didn't create us and then say, oops, I I better get them something to eat. (laughs) No, he he anticipated and created. See, this is like grace. Grace has already provided everything that you'll ever need. God created everything. There is nothing Nothing, 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 nothing that you will ever need that God hadn't already created. Every need of man was supplied. The climate was perfect. Everything was perfect. And then he created Adam and Eve as his last act. And then he rested. He had a Sabbath. You know what that Sabbath was? When it says that he rested from his works. It wasn't like, because God says, man, I couldn't create another moon. If I had to, I am worn out. I couldn't create one more animal. I'm tired. I need to go rest. God didn't rest because he was worn out. He rested because he says it's good. That was an understatement. It was perfect. It was perfect. It was perfect. He couldn't create it any better. The the creation is awesome. Even in its fallen state, we don't see the perfection that God created. Animals kill each other and eat each other. God didn't create it to be that way. But even in its fallen state, this is so perfect. It's awesome the way that God's created things. He did everything so perfectly that he just looked back and says, it's perfect. And he rested because there was nothing to do. And immediately after man was created, we entered into that rest. We didn't have to go plant a tree and wait seven years for it to produce fruit. We didn't have to dig in the ground and do something. God had already created everything. And we immediately entered into his rest where if you got hungry, you just reach up and take an apple and say, thank you. You take a banana and say, thank you. Now, it's important that you recognize this. The Lord didn't just put an intravenous feed into us to where he automatically supplied us with all the nutrients. He created everything, but we had to reach out and appropriate what he had already provided. That's what I was talking about last night. Faith just reaches out and takes what God has already provided. But you don't have to beg. If a person, you know, if you can imagine Adam and Eve saying, oh God, I'm hungry, feed me. He would have said, I've already provided it. It's already here. Man, you got, you got anything. Eat anything. Everything is yours. If they would have just begged, but oh God, please feed me, feed me. He provided everything, but they had to reach out and take it. There was some effort, but it wasn't them making God do it. God didn't create the banana after they reached out. He had already created it. They just reached out and took 
what he had already provided. They lived in his rest. And this is what the Sabbath was a picture of. You got to remember that when God gave the command about the Sabbath to Moses, everybody on the earth was working seven days a week, daylight to dark, scratching out a living, barely making it. There was no way that you could take one day out of seven off and survive. And yet God told his people, he says, you honor me. You take one day of seven off and I'll prosper you. And the Jews begin to prosper more and have more abundance than the people that were working seven days out of the week. And just in case anybody missed that, the Lord told them take one year out of seven years off. And this was called a Sabbath year. Look at this passage, man, I need to talk quickly. Look at this passage in Leviticus chapter 25. I want to just read a couple of verses. In Leviticus chapter 25. And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai saying, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when you come into the land, which I give you, then shall you keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years shalt thou sow thy field and six years shalt thou prune thy vineyard and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither uh, sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. That which groweth of its own accord Um, of thy harvest, thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of thy vine undressed for it is a year of rest unto the Lord. So the Lord not only told his people to take one day each week off, just in case some people think, well, you know what? That was just coincidence. They just had a fruitful land. How do you explain taking one year out of seven years off and you couldn't sow any crop. And if something grew naturally, you couldn't harvest it. You couldn't, you couldn't sow or reap any food. You had to take one year out of seven off. Why did God give that command? To let the people trust him to say, look, I'm your source. And people think, well, how did they survive if they didn't sow their crops? Look at this in uh, chapter 25 and in verse uh, 20. And if you shall say, what shall we eat the seventh year? Behold, we shall not sow nor gather in our increase. Then will I command my blessing upon you in the sixth year, and it shall bring forth fruit for three years and you shall sow the eighth year and eat yet of the old fruit until the ninth year, until her fruit come in that ye may eat of the old uh, store. So when people did this on the sixth year, God would bless them with three times a natural harvest and they would live through that, through the sixth year, through the seventh year and through the eighth year while they were sowing their crops. And just like clockwork, God would give them three times a normal harvest. This was to show the people that look, I'm your source. You sow seeds, you plow the ground, you weed you water, but I'm your source. And he says, if you will follow this, I will bless you more than if you work seven days out of the week, than if you work seven years out of seven. This was a covenant between God. And it was to remind the people that, you know what, even though you do something, even though you're working, God is your source. Again, this goes back to finances. 
Some of you think, well, if I was to give, how would I make it? If you would give, God would bless you with three times as much as you would ever have on your own. And he would prosper you more by honoring him than if you keep a hundred percent of it. It's just a lack of faith, trust in him that causes people not to give, not your needs. Thank you for that one. Come on, Pastor Bob. (laughs) Shake that bush one more time. This is what the Sabbath was a picture of. The Sabbath, people have reduced it down. They only followed the ritual and they think, man, I can't do anything. And I've got to, I can't go out and work. I was raised where we didn't mow our lawn on the Sabbath. We didn't wash our dishes on the Sabbath. And of course it was funny because the Sabbath to us was Sunday. The Sabbath technically isn't Sunday. It's, it's sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. That is the real Sabbath. And if you think that by not working or doing something on Sunday that you are keeping the Sabbath, you aren't even keeping the real Sabbath. (laughs) And somebody says, that's why I knew the Seventh-day Adventist had it right. No, the Seventh-day Adventists are hugging the shadow. They're keeping the day and doing this, but they are trusting in their own goodness and in their own performance. They aren't resting in God. In the new te- here's what the Sabbath was a picture of. It was God is my source. And in the New Testament, you can reach a place where you understand that God by grace has already provided everything that you'll ever need. That doesn't mean that you don't eat right and exercise and take care of yourself. But instead of doing those things, trying to get God to bless you, you believe that God has already provided health for you. By his stripes, you are healed. And so you're just cooperating and trusting him and you're resting in that. And if the doctor tells you you're going to die, you say, bless his little pudding heart. He just doesn't know that my covenant. And instead of getting all fearful and then saying, oh God, please heal me. You just say, no, I'm not moving out of the rest. By his stripes, I was healed. And I, if I was healed, I am healed. And you just rest in it. And the world tells you you're crazy. You know, this example I was talking about, Audrey Scott was born with half of a heart and they said she couldn't live. Didn't have arteries from her heart to her lungs, missing ribs. And uh, Jamie Scott just said, nope, that's not what God told me and stood. And because of it, you know, the doctor said you're in denial. They said that your wife's not facing reality. Al and Angie right here, he's the one that fell and hurt his hip in December. And the doctor said it would take a minimum of a year to recover in multiple surgeries. And he said, nope, I'm not having surgery. And the doctors got on their case and told Angie, says, you are in denial, got mad. They had a Bible study in intensive care and the doctors came in and broke it up. And they made them look like fools. You're in denial, you don't know. But you know what? They were resting. They said, nobody's moving me out of what Jesus has done. And boy, he walked within what? Just weeks, five weeks. He was walking on his own. And the doctor says, you don't need surgery. Thank you, Jesus. But you know what? They were resting in the fact that they knew what the word of God said. You know what the average person does when the doctor tells you you're going to die? You fall apart like a $2 suitcase. You start crying, oh God, we're going to die. You sing songs on Sunday about when we all get to heaven, what a day that'll be. And then the doctor tells you you're going and you start crying. (laughs) Something's wrong with this picture. 
not saying this to hurt anybody, but I'm trying to get my point across that brothers and sisters, the majority of people in this room, if the doctor told you your life was over, you would get out of rest. You would be troubled. You would be sorrowful. You would be all of these things. And then you wonder, why is it that it's so hard? Because you aren't resting in what God has done. You aren't putting faith in it. You're, you are more moved by what the doctor has to say than what the word of God has to say. But you can reach a place to where you just, you just don't know how to react to all this junk. I was told by a doctor, I was doing a treadmill test and he wanted to shave the hair on my chest and put these things on there. And I said, this is virgin hair. It has never been touched. So anyway, that doctor stuck him on there with the hair on my chest and I got to jogging on this treadmill and they started falling off. So I was holding to, the doctor was holding to, a nurse was holding to, and I was still jogging. And and anyway, we got to the end of this test and I told him about my son being raised from the dead and I'd been witnessing to him and they got to the end of the test and he started looking at this paper and And everything was fine up until 12 minutes and 32 seconds into the test. You can quit before that. It's only a 15 minute test. And they said, you can quit whenever you get tired. But I went the whole time. And anyway, he looked at this and he started grunting, you know, like doctors do. And, "Mm," and, and all this stuff. And he says, and he started writing down. He says, here's a guy's name. I want you to go over there. We're going to test you. He's going to give you another test. We're going to put you in the hospital and we might do open heart surgery on you today. You got a serious heart problem. And you know what? I just was used to resting in the Lord. I didn't believe it. And I just looked at him for a moment. And then I said, that's a lie. I don't believe this. (laughs) And you know what? Most doctors aren't used to being told that they lied. They just, he looked at me and what are you saying? And I said, you look at that piece of paper and tell me that that says I got a heart problem. And he says, well, it's just, you are a little bit off and everybody's heart's a little bit different. You could be perfectly normal, but I just think we ought to go get more tests. I said, that is not what you told me. You lied to me. You told me I had a serious heart problem and I got on this doctor's case and he just tore that paper up and he says, leave. And uh, he says, you're fine. Get out of here. But he flunked me on the test and I couldn't get the insurance. That's the reason I went for this thing. And so I had to go get one of these stress tests where they inject you with nuclear dye or something. And anyway, the doctor that did the stress test, he says, you know, those treadmill tests are 50% inaccurate. They're wrong as often as they're right. You should never trust one of those. But I, you know, most people would have just fallen apart and got out of rest and got into fear. And they tested me and they said, you got the heart of a 17 year old. There's nothing wrong with you. No problem. I'm not saying this to condemn you, but most people in here would be more moved by what a doctor says than you are by what God's word says. You aren't resting in God. Most of you couldn't have done what Al and Angie did and stood against the doctors and let them ridicule you and make fun of you and tell you that you're absolutely crazy. Most of us would rather have the approval of a doctor than we had the approval of God. Amen Amen or oh me. But you can reach a place to where you know that God's already supplied all of your need and I'm just resting in it. I'm not getting out of it. 
God supplied my need that we need for this campus that we're building. And I'm resting in it. I'm not worried about it. I'm not uptight about it. It's, I'm not going to get uptight about it. I hadn't lost any sleep over it. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it because God's already supplied everything that I'll need in my entire life to accomplish his direction. I know this is what God has called me to do and I'm just resting in it. And you hide and watch, it will come to pass. And this is what the Sabbath was a picture of. If you aren't resting in the Lord, you are breaking the Sabbath. And I don't care if you don't do certain things on a certain day. And if you go through all of the rituals, if you aren't trusting in God, if you are trusting in yourself and worried, you are the Sabbath breaker. That's a powerful word, but it's absolutely true. And the Sabbath is a picture of how Jesus has already provided everything. Before you ever had a need, he anticipated your need. He supply, He made the supply before you had the need and you can rest in him. You can trust him. He is 100% trustworthy and you can live your life. That doesn't mean that he's just going to intravenously give you everything. No, you have to reach out. You sometimes have to stand against the negative reports and against the tongues that come against you. And you have to do certain things, but you're just doing it because you're resting in God. You're trusting him and you aren't moving out of your faith and your trust in the Lord. And most of religion today has missed the true meaning, the significance. They are caught up in the shadows. They are going through the rituals that the Old Testament was a symbolism and a picture and a type and a shadow of. And they are caught up in those things and missing Jesus right in our midst. They aren't in relationship with the Lord. They're just worshiping rules. Man, we need to move into the rest of the Lord. And it says in Hebrews 4, I believe verse 9 or 11, that you have to labor to enter into this rest. You're going to have to be different. It's going to take some effort. An old dead fish fish can float downstream. But if you turn around and start swimming upstream, it's going to take some effort. It'll be the hardest thing you've ever done to, to stay in faith and not get into fear and worry when all of these things happen and you just stay and you trust God. It takes some maturity, some faith to do that, but it's well worth the effort. Amen. Amen. Oh, that's a good word. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, again, this morning, I want to ask if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus, man, this should have painted a picture for you. What true salvation is. It's not about you going to church and doing this and this and this. And if you do enough, then God will save you. No, he's already provided it. Will you just reach out and receive salvation as a gift? If you've never received salvation as a gift, you need to receive that this morning. And if you are born again, but if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes speaking in tongues, it's much more than that, but it includes speaking in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, you must have the baptism of the Holy Spirit in order to understand what I'm talking about. This is not humanly possible to figure this out. It has to come by revelation. I can't force a person to believe this. You have to receive it by the revelation of the Holy Spirit and you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody here who would say, I either need to be born again and, or I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues. Anybody here like that this morning? I want you to raise your hand. Here's a number of people. Praise God. Man, we've had over 230, 40 people receive, and yet there's still more. 
Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. If you raised your hand or if you were too chicken to raise your hand, but you should have, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward and let us pray with you? And we want to help you to receive. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. We got more people moving to the exits than we do to the front. Don't forget that we have this CBC meeting. If you want to be a part of the CBC meeting, it's in this room. And I'll go ahead and dismiss those of you that want to go to the CBC meeting. We are going to pray for people. If you want prayer, we'll have prayer. But uh, the CBC meeting will be starting in the next five or 10 minutes. And it's in this room right next door to us. And if you've ever had a desire to go to Bible college, you ought to be in there. And if you're down here to receive the Holy Spirit, we'll still let you go into the CBC meeting. Amen. You won't miss it. You can do both. Praise the Lord. Anybody else want to come and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit or salvation? You're welcome, brother. Praise the Lord. All right. If I could ask you to be quiet as you leave, because I don't want to, I don't want to distract from what we're doing. This is super important what's happening right here. So as you leave, please be quiet and uh, don't distract from what's going on. This is important. These people are going to receive the greatest gift that you could ever receive. This is awesome. Before you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you must receive Jesus first. He's the one who gives the Holy Spirit. It's what the scripture says. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. Is there anybody who's not absolutely sure about whether or not you've been born again and Jesus is your personal savior? I'll pray with you and we're going to get you born again. Anybody else? Anybody else? You can't receive the Holy Spirit until you first of all receive Jesus. Are you absolutely certain that you're born again? If you aren't, you need to raise your hand and I'll pray with you and we'll get you born again. Anyone? Are all the rest of you certain that you're born again? You you aren't sure you want to pray? Amen. I believe God's going to change your life, brother. Isn't this good? Awesome. Anybody else? All right, the very first thing we're going to do is pray with these two. And the scripture says that Jesus has already died for your sins. So you don't have to ask him, will you forgive me? He has. He's already paid for your sins. All you got to do is reach out. Like I said that about that dollar bill, just reach out and take it. He's made it available. Now, will you take your salvation? You ready to do that? I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I'd like to ask everybody to pray this with me so that they won't feel like we're just listening to them. And uh, if you will pray this prayer and mean it from your heart, then what Jesus has already provided for you is going to come to pass. Isn't that good? Thank you, Jesus. Let's say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven right now in Jesus' name. Amen. You mean that? You mean that, brother? Welcome to the family.
Man, that's awesome. Isn't this great? That's the greatest miracle that could ever happen right there. Thank you, Jesus. You know, this lady is still a female. He's still a male in their bodies. Their minds are still the same, but in your spirit, you are completely brand new people and you are now identical to Jesus on the inside. And the rest of the Christian life is changing the way you think. And the number one key to changing the way you think is receiving this baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when he has come, will teach you all things and lead you into all truth and bring to your remembrance all things whatsoever I've spoken unto you. Jesus said that. The Holy Spirit is the greatest thing for revelation. It's going to just transform your life. And when the Holy Spirit comes, one of the things he does is give you this gift of speaking in tongues. And this is important because it allows, our mind is where your confusion is, your questions is, your doubt and your fears. But when you speak in tongues, you aren't praying from your brain, you're praying from your spirit. And you bypass all of this confusion and you just talk to God and it edifies you, it builds you up. It's really, really powerful. And the Bible says that once you get born again, you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means this is what he created you for. God wants you to have the Holy Spirit. He created every one of you in your spirit to be a place for the Holy Spirit to dwell. So you don't have to beg and wonder, will he do it? This is what he created you for. You don't have to wonder, am I holy enough? Will God come fill me? He wants you to have the Holy Spirit more than you want to have it. If you have a problem in your life, if you have a sin, a habit, something that's destroying you. That doesn't disqualify you. It makes you a prime candidate. He wants to give you power so that you can start overcoming these things and living in his best. So we're just, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. All we're going to do is just open up the doors of our temple and say, come in, Holy Spirit, fill me. We aren't going to beg, plead. We're going to trust that he wants to do this and we're just going to give him the right and open up our life and allow the Holy Spirit to come in. And then I want our prayer ministers to come up here. And these are people that are already filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So these people are going to come and lay hands on you and release this power of the Holy Spirit into you. And after I lead you in prayer, after they lay hands on you, then I want you to start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. Don't ask anymore. There's a time to ask, but there's a time to believe. And he promised that if you would give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So you're going to ask and he promised he'd give. So we're going to just start thanking him. And then those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to pray in tongues. Because the Bible says when you're praying in tongues, you are giving thanks unto God. That's what you're doing. You're speaking it in a language that you don't understand, but you're praising God in a heavenly language. So we're going to start thanking God in our tongues. And at that time, I want you to start praying with us in tongues. Just quit, pray, quit thanking him in English and start thanking him in tongues. And I know a lot of you think, well, man, I don't, how do you do it? What happens? I've got a book that will explain it, but here is the number one thing. It's not the only thing, but the number one thing I found that stops people from speaking in tongues, they think that God is going to force it. He's going to force you to speak in tongues. He'll just take control and you'll speak uncontrollably. That is not the way it happens. The Bible says they spoke with tongues as the spirit gave the inspiration. It's just like when I taught today, I believe God spoke through me. 
He inspired me, but he didn't force me to say it. I spoke. I thought of it. That's the reason it came out in Texan. That's the reason it came out in my sense of humor. It was me talking, but it was inspired of God. That's the way speaking in tongues is. You speak with tongues, but you believe that God is inspiring it. And I promise you, once you get over the newness of it and you quit listening to yourself, you'll find it just flows out of you. It's really inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I've got a book that will explain all of this. But if you're ready, you can pray in tongues right now. And then you can begin to start doing this and it'll change your life. Amen. Y'all ready? The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. And we are now believers. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You created us for this. And so we open up our lives right now and we say, we want the power of the Holy Spirit. We want your Holy Spirit to control us, to live in us, to give us this gift so that we can speak in tongues and get beyond ourselves. We just welcome your power into our life right now in the name of Jesus. Now we lay hands on you and we say, receive the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. We loose this power and this anointing to flow into your life right now. Boy, there is the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost flowing into you. Father, we just release this power to flow into these lives right now. Thank you, Father, for filling every single one of us with your power. Thank you, Jesus. Now I want you to quit asking and start thanking God. Let's lift your hands. Just like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I yield, I surrender. I want you to yield and just start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that I am God-filled. I am possessed by your Spirit, that I have your power living in me. Thank you, Jesus. Boy, isn't that awesome? There's God rising up on the inside. Those that know how to pray in tongues, let's worship the Lord and speak in tongues right now. And as we speak in tongues, quit praising him in English. Pray in tongues. Don't worry about what it sounds like. It's like a little kid when they first start speaking. It doesn't sound like English, but that parent knows what they're trying to say. That parent knows what they mean. Your heavenly father is listening to your heart. He's inhabiting your praises. Just speak. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You're going to have to open your mouth and talk. You know, if you don't know what to say, you can try and hear what you hear the person. You can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying. But your tongue will be different. It'll be unique to you. You can't say what they're saying, but it'll get you to talking. And once you start talking, don't quit. Just keep talking. Just keep going. Bible says when you're praying in tongues, you're praising him. You're thanking him in a heavenly language, in a language that's not filled with any unbelief. The Bible says you edify yourself. That means you promote spiritual growth. You encourage yourself. You give rest and, and refreshing to the weary. When you pray in tongues, it builds you up. It's encouraging. Just speak right now. Let's speak. You can, you can speak in tongues. I believe that the power of God's come into your life. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Kora sata rombro tora mamariela rombro toki ereshite ne merombranta. You know, this doesn't make sense to your mind, but that's why it's so important. You're getting out of your brain and you're getting into God's heart. It's powerful. It's powerful. It's a great step of faith. Man, lots of people here are praying in tongues. Lots of people. Lots of people praying in tongues. Hallelujah. Man, this is awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Let me have your attention here. I'm sorry to interrupt your praying in tongues. But let me have your attention. What's happened to you is more important than what you realize. I promise you that. There's not a person down here that fully understands and realizes what's happened to you. This is the most important thing that has happened since you've been born again. It's power. Jesus said you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But in order to get the full benefit, you have to understand. You have to understand what's happened. And uh, I know that there's questions. And I used to have a lot of problems with this. When I first asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it took me three years before I spoke in tongues because I was a Baptist. And I had been told so much junk about it that it just took a while. But I've written a book. It answered all of my questions. I speak in tongues a lot. I speak in tongues more than you all. And uh, anyway, it will help you. And I'd like to give you this book. And we just want to make this a really significant experience in your life and make sure that you understand the full thing. So we've got Ashley over here. He's a young man with his Bible up. And if you would follow Ashley, he wants to give you a free book. There's people there that will answer your questions, help you any way you can. But we want you to get the maximum benefit out of it. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't this awesome? You know, that's, we're nearing nearly 300 people that have come forward to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in four meetings. Oh, that's tremendous. Thank you, Jesus. That is just awesome. And brother, we got people over there that'll pray with you to get your eyes open. How would that be? That'll be awesome. We want you to get that book though. Praise the Lord. That's great. All right. These are our prayer ministers. We've been doing this. We've been seeing some great miracles happen. And if you would like prayer, I'd like to give you an invitation to come forward right now and let someone pray with you. Praise God. These people are well qualified to pray with you and help you. If you want prayer, just come forward right now. The rest of you, let me remind you that tonight our meeting is at six o'clock. We do this because my crew has to take down all of this and they used to get through around two or three in the morning. Now they get through around one or two and it just gives them an extra hour. Many of them have to get up early and catch planes in the morning. So we start at six o'clock this evening and I encourage you to come and be here for the last service. Remember that we already have CDs and DVDs of all four services now duplicated and you can pick those up out there. Praise the Lord.
Amen. If you need prayer, just come forward. The rest of you, you're free to go. Thank you for coming. Uh, We're going to pray. And if you want to stay and pray with us, you're welcome to stay. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of God. We believe that your anointing is flowing for every one of these right now in Jesus' name. We believe that by grace, you have already provided our healing, that it's already a done deal. And Father, we just rest in that. We reach out and take what is rightfully ours. We receive this healing right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And Father, I thank you that as we lay hands on people and pray for them, I thank you that every single person is being healed right now. Thank you, Jesus. You know, you can receive healing right where you are. I believe that some of your faith has been quickened and now you are just able to rest and say, Father, I'm, I'm not fighting anymore. I'm going to fight my unbelief, but I'm not fighting with you anymore. My war with you is over. Father, that you have already healed me and I'm resting in that. I'm going to fight any doubt, any unbelief, any person that speaks against me and tries to tell me that it's not mine, but I am resting in you. Thank you, Jesus. Or somebody's being healed of high blood pressure right now. And you know, a lot of that was just stress and stuff. And as you rest in the Lord, the peace of God is coming over you. And I believe that you're being healed right now of high blood pressure. You know, that can cause a lot of problems in your life. If you're one that had high blood pressure, I want you to stand, raise your hand so I can see who it is I'm praying for. And here is the anointing of God flowing right now. Father, I release them from this high blood pressure in Jesus name. Command the source of that. If it's stress, worry, fear, command it to leave. If it's something just physical, Father, we thank you that whatever the cause of it is, it's over. Thank you that this blood pressure is coming down, coming to normal. Thank you that a supernatural peace that passes understanding is coming upon these people. And that Father, right now there is just a uh, low, not a abnormally low, but a normal blood pressure in them from this time on. Some of you have had symptoms related to that blood pressure. All of those things are being healed. Headaches and other things. All of it's leaving you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. All of the symptoms of this are over. Father, I release your peace upon them and we thank you for that in the mighty name of Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. I believe God just healed you. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I believe that the Lord's healing people of diabetes right now. If you've had diabetes, I want you to stand up. I'm going to pray and I believe God's setting you free from that right now. If that's you, I want you to stand and raise your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you that you have already provided this healing. I stand against you, diabetes. I command you to loose their bodies, to let go of them. Get off of them, be gone right now in the name of Jesus. Pancreas, you come alive. I resurrect you with my words. I speak life over you and I command these pancreas to begin to work 
and produce the right amount of insulin. I speak healing over them that their blood sugar level is down to where it's supposed to be in Jesus' name. We bridle you body with our tongue and command you to receive this healing power now in Jesus' name. And Father, I thank you that you get sugar diabetes out of their mind and emotions, that they quit thinking sick and planning on sick and worrying about this all of the time. Thank you that you just help them to become normal. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive this and believe that miracles are taking place. People are healed of diabetes right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God like you believe you're healed. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I believe you're healed. I have people come up all the time when something like that happens and they say, so do I quit taking my diabetes medicine? It depends on what you believe. I can't tell you. You know why I don't take diabetes medicine? Because I don't believe I got diabetes. If you take it, it's because you believe you got it. And that's what the Holy Spirit is for. The Holy Spirit will tell you how to respond. I prayed for a man who had a monitor that monitored his diabetic stuff and he showed it to me and it read 1,000 the day that I prayed for him. That's nearly dead. He said, I should be in a coma. And I prayed for him and um, he asked me, do I quit? And I said, the Holy Spirit will tell you what to do. Just, you know, eventually you're going to have to get off that stuff. But I said, the Holy Spirit will show you what to do. So anyway, he came back to me six months later and he had that same monitor. And he said, this was the day you prayed for me. And it stored 22 days worth of his readings. And he started clicking through it. It started at 1100, went down to 1070. And in 22 days, it was down to 115. And he monitored it for six months and it just stayed there. And so he threw it away and quit doing it. And he was off of it. It took 22 days before he was totally normal. And uh, he took his insulin according to what his readings were. I can't tell you what to do. Some people come off cold turkey. Some people do it gradually. I don't know, but I believe you're healed. And you just need to pray and let the Holy Spirit do what he gives you peace about. Don't think that by quitting your insulin, it somehow or another makes you better. Just do what God tells you to do. And I believe that you're being healed of sugar diabetes. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Father, we just thank you and receive this. Thank you for these miracles taking place in people's lives. Thank you, Father. Well, there's a bunch of people here that you've done damage to your knee for whatever reason. You have pain in your knees. It causes you a lot of problems. God's healing knees right now. If you've got a pain in your knee or whatever, I want you to stand. Lift your hand so I'll see who I'm praying for. And I here's the healing power of God. Father, I release your anointing right now. And whatever's wrong with these knees, somebody's got bone on bone. You don't have the cartilage or whatever. Right now, here's a creative miracle. You're having cartilage created in your knee. Thank you, Jesus. That's the anointing of God flowing. I command pain to be gone. Whatever causes this pain. Whatever the problem is, be gone. Somebody's got water on your knees, swelling on the knee. I command that to be gone. Father, I just release your healing 
to flow through these knees and thank you for healing people's knees right now. All pain gone. Thank you that they have freedom of movement. They can bend without pain now in Jesus' name. Father, we release this power and thank you that right now pain is leaving, health is coming. They're going to be able to walk and do things. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. How many of you have already had the pain leave? If you can tell a difference, I want you to wave at me. Man, look at this. That's about a dozen people or so. Isn't that great? That's awesome. And all the rest of you are healed too. You just need to walk it out. Begin to start exercising. Take your authority and praise God, you're going to see total manifestation of that healing. Thank you, Father. Father, we just agree and we receive this healing in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Oh, God's moving. Lots of miracles happening. When you go to talking about what God's already done, then it just changes the way you receive. Instead of feeling desperate, it just gives you peace and it allows you to reach out and take what God has already done. I tell you, this is a great key to receiving from God. God's doing a lot of great things, a lot of people's lives being changed. Thank you, Jesus. Someone's sinuses are being opened up right now. You've had allergies and sinus problems, stuff like this. Who, who in here has got these problems? If that's you, I want you to stand. I'm praying for you. And I believe that God's healing you. Sinus allergies, things right here that affect you up here in the sinus cavity. If that's you, I want you to stand and raise your hand. Father, I release your healing power right now. And we command whatever the problem is, with these sinuses to leave right now. Satan, we break your power. Some of you have been cursed. You've been told from the time you were a kid, you had all of these things and you just learned to accept it. That's a curse. It may not be witchcraft, but it is a negative thing spoken over you. And I break it right now. I break this curse over you and say in the name of Jesus, you are free from this. Not only are you free, but your children are free. It's not going to be passed on. We break this. We speak the blessing of the Lord that Father, you've healed us. That we are not suffering with allergies. We do not have sinus problems. We release your anointing right now. Command sinuses to clear up for this pain, congestion to be gone. All of the problems associated with that, we just command them to be gone. We release your healing power. And Father, thank you for healing us of that. We receive it and thank you for doing it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I believe you're healed. Thank you, Jesus. Did anybody have any symptoms like pain or congestion or something that you can already tell the difference? Here's a person right here. Anybody else? Here's another one over here. Some of you may not have had any symptoms right now, but I believe that that's over and you're going to have to stand on it and just enforce this. If you start to have allergies or something, just resist it. Say, I refuse this. Talk to your body. Take control over it. You can control what happens in your body. You don't have to just let things happen. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for all of these healings. Thank you for all of these people that are being set free. We believe that you've already provided everything and we just receive 
what is rightfully ours. Thank you. It's already done. We receive these healings in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Man, let's just praise God for this. Isn't this awesome what God's doing? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you that you've already provided everything. Thank you for the people who are receiving what you have already done. We agree. We receive it. We thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm going to let you go. We'll be back at six o'clock tonight. Make sure you're here. It'll be our last service and God never serves dessert first. That means something sweeter is yet to come. Amen. It's going to be a good time.